on today's episode of Not Your Average Boston Sports Podcast. We'll be checking in on the Red Sox at the halfway point of the season and look at things that have been going right for them recently, what needs to change for them to continue to be successful, um, and all those sorts of things. We'll take a look at um, the Red Sox upcoming schedule, take a look at some statistics. Uh, we'll also talk about the American or American National League All-Star lineups that will be announced tonight and see which Red Sox players will likely see a spot in the starting lineup for the American League. And we'll also take a look around Major League Baseball, check in on some standings and um, any other thoughts there. We'll also get to the NBA, talk about the Celtics. Ime Udoka gave a uh, press conference, his introductory press conference earlier in the week. So we'll get to some uh, some of the, some of the quotes from that. Um, we will also get into the NBA playoffs and the update. Um, or we will update you guys on the NBA playoffs as the uh, Phoenix Suns are in the NBA Finals for the first time since 1993. So we'll uh, break down that series for you. Hawks Bucks Game Five tonight. We'll talk about that. We will also get to uh, Chauncey Billups being hired by the Portland Trailblazers and talk about what that means for their franchise. And we'll also get to some news and notes from around the association. Then we will talk about the uh, Bruins for a little bit, some trade rumors that are swirling for a couple players from the Arizona Coyotes. I will also recap the NHL awards. Some of them, some awards got handed out a few nights ago. So we will get into that. We'll also get into an update from the Stanley Cup finals and as well as some other um, updates from around the NHL and around the world of hockey. We will get to the Patriots. We'll talk about Stephon Gilmore's contract situation um, and what potentially that this means for the Patriots going forward. And we'll also get to some other miscellaneous notes from around the NFL. Um, and then we will also update you guys on the European Championship Tournament. The quarterfinals start tomorrow, so we'll give you guys the updates on the matchups coming tomorrow and Saturday. Uh, we will also get to the Revolution, and then we will also get to the NCAA's ruling that uh, athletes can now be compensated from their likeness and name and all those sorts of things. So a uh, lot to get to. So without further ado, let's go. What is going on, everyone? Welcome to the program. It is not your average Boston sports podcast. I am your host, Garrett Hayden. And as always, you can follow the podcast on Twitter at NotBoston. You can also follow our Facebook page as well. Um, you can also follow me on Twitter for um, all kinds of sports content um, at the Sports Guy 97 You can also uh, listen to the podcast on Spotify and on Apple Podcasts. 
and you can read some of my written content at garretthaydensportsmedia.com on WordPress. So, uh, got a lot to get to today, folks. A um, lot of Red Sox. You know, it's uh, been a great start to the season for them. They're, you know, season's already halfway over. It's crazy, crazy to believe. Um, you know, kind of a little bit of a slow time in Boston sports. You know, you got the Red Sox playing. You know, Bruins and Celtics are kind of in the very early stages of their off season. You know, Patriots were still a couple weeks away from training camp, but uh, there still is plenty of sports stuff to talk about. Um, so it makes sense that we start with the Red Sox today. Um, halfway through the season, we are unbelievably we're halfway through the season with the Red Sox sitting at 50 and 31 on pace for 100 wins. That sounds just crazy. You know, when you think about where this team was at the beginning of the season and um, there really was no expectation really for this team. You know, I think that you looked at what um, you looked at what, was probably going to be a difficult a, a difficult division to compete in. You know, when you stopped and looked at, you know, what Tampa Bay was able to do last year, getting to Game 7 of the World Series, you know, obviously the Yankees are a team, were a team that probably were going to be really dangerous, and Toronto as well. And so, you know, it really seemed like, you were going to have a tough time competing in this division. But, you know, crazy things have happened. You know, Toronto has not really played up to the expectation that some people had for them. The Yankees have really disappointed. You know, Tampa Bay has been really good, but they've dropped off a little bit. And the Red Sox have won five straight games, and are, or uh, six straight games, excuse me, and are going for seven this afternoon against the Royals. So... You know, it's just kind of unbelievable that the Red Sox have been able to put together this season that, you know, the pitching has been really, really good for most of the season. It's not been great recently, but the offense has been able to pick them up. You know, they've been able to pick up the starting pitchers when they struggle with control, struggle with, you know, giving up a lot of runs. You know, that was really the case on um, Monday and Tuesday night against the Royals. You know, Red Sox, Garrett Richards, and Nick Pavetta really just struggled with consistency in both of those games, but the Red Sox were able to pick up both of them in those games. You know, really both of those games where the offense picks up the starting pitching and then the bullpen holds it down. You know, the bullpen has been one of the best stories about the Red Sox this season. I think it's probably one of the most underrated stories with the Red Sox. Not a lot of people are, are talking about how good it's been. You know, Matt Barnes has been, he's pit. this is the best he's pitched in his career. You know, you look at Ottavino, he's performing exactly how you would expect. You know, you have guys like Sawamura and Hernandez that have been pitching really, really well. Um, and then Garrett Whitlock, you know, a guy that the Red Sox really just found out of nowhere, essentially. Um, and you've been getting big outs from that bullpen. Josh Taylor has pitched really, really well. So... You know, all the things seem to be coming together for this team, and it's coming together a lot quicker than a lot of people thought. And, you know, I think that, and I've said this a few times, that I think, you know, this team's energy has very similar energy 
to that 2013 team, you know, coming off that last place finish like the Red Sox came off of a last place finish last year, you know, come in with no expectations, really just absolutely none that, you know, hey, if they finish any higher than fourth place, it's a surprise. And the Red Sox have really thrived under those circumstances. You know, I think that a lot of the smaller moves that Heim Bloom has made have really turned out well. You know, Garrett Richards, you could probably go back and forth on that about whether it's been a good addition or not, but Kike Hernandez has started to hit really, really well, made a spectacular play um, defensively last night, making a catch on the run. Um, and Hunter Renfro, who's been the hottest hitter for the Red Sox in the last two months, um, you know, just the small maneuvers that he has made seem to have, you know, worked out really well. And what's crazy is this team is 50 and 31 and arguably your most talented starting pitcher, you know, has really kind of yet to show his consistent form in Eduardo Rodriguez. You know, you thought that he was kind of going to be the number one, but you know, you've been able to survive because Nate Evaldi has been really, really solid. Martin Perez, who, you know, is really just kind of a back end of the rotation kind of pitcher has really given you some good innings. Um, And so I think, you know, piling on these wins, these last six in a row, you know, have really, have really kind of kick-started, not kick-started, but like reinvigorated the team that it kind of looked like after losing those games to Tampa, you know, losing that last game where Pavetta gets taken out, having a no-hitter going, you lose that game in the ninth inning the way that you do. Um, And then you come into Fenway, you have three games against the Yankees and the Red Sox Perform, played really, really well. So, you know, really seemed like for a cup for periods of time they were treading water, but it really seems like they've caught their stride right now, winning six straight games and you know being in the position that they're in. And um, it's it's pretty amazing, you know, what this team has been able to do. And you know, you keep getting reports here and there that Chris Sale is getting closer. You know, through a, a BP session yesterday um, and you know, probably will make some rehab starts, I'm assuming, very soon. And, you know, he really can act as a trade deadline acquisition. Um, So, you know, things are looking great for the Red Sox at, you know, the halfway point of the season. It's kind of amazing that, you know, the Red Sox do as well in the second half as they did in the first half. They, you know, can win 100 games, which is something that I did not even think in my wildest dreams was possible. You know, I really thought that, you know, when I talked with Eric Bellier, when you did our baseball preview at the beginning of the season, I thought 90 games, you know, that's going to be their ceiling. That's going to be the absolute best case scenario. And the Red Sox might blow past that. So, you know, it's, it's great stuff for the Red Sox. But, you know, I think that you got to remember baseball's a long season. The Red Sox are not always going to be playing at this high of a rate. They're not always going to be winning six in a row, six out of seven, you know, seven out of eight, that sort of thing. But, you know, they've built themselves a really nice cushion at 19 games over 500. Um, and, you know, in the division lead pretty healthily, pretty healthy. I have a pretty healthy division lead uh, with three games over the Rays at the moment. So um, it's been a lot of great, exciting stuff. You know, baseball is fun. The Red Sox are fun. You know, it's giving people a lot of hope that this team can be special and this team could be a playoff team. This team could be a World Series team. Um, and it's really kind of reinvigorated Fenway. We're going to get reinvigorated a lot of fans that, 
you know, me included, I didn't expect much from them this season. You know, I was excited to see what kind of performance they were going to get from certain guys. And, you know, holy cow, you have your top offensive guys who have been incredible, but you've also been getting some great performances out of, you know, guys in the bottom of the line, Hunter Renfro, for example. You know, your bullpen has been really good, and hopefully Matt Barnes, you know, gets the recognition and gets to the All-Star game. Um, but it's been it's been a great first half for the Red Sox. You know, really, it's, you know, I know that it's, it would be weird to say, oh, there's no complaints, because there definitely are. But when you look at a team that by most, you know, most people had this team finishing in fourth place, me included. And, you know, the fact that this team has won 50 games is the second team in baseball to win 50 games is crazy. You know, and what's even crazier is the San Francisco Giants who've won 50 games already. We'll get to that. We'll get to them when we look at the standings. But um, it's been it's been great for the Red Sox. You have a bullpen that's performing well. You have a lineup that is that you have a lineup that can take that you have a lineup that can withstand you know early barrages by other teams or i'm not saying this correctly you have an offense that has the ability to pick pitching up that you have an offense that has the ability to that you know my god i'm really struggling here (laughs) you're never out of a game with this offense that's what i'm trying to say you have an offense that just is so good that you're never out of it. You know, the Red Sox are lead the league and come and come from behind wins, you know, never out of a game. So um, it's been great to see. And, you know, hopefully you get a couple guys that um, get the recognition tonight as the uh, all-star starters will be announced tonight at nine, I believe. Um, Raphael Devers, Xander Bogarts are in pretty good position at the moment to be starters in the game. It doesn't look like J.D. Martinez will be a starter, you know. Good luck trying to vote for someone that's not Shohei Otani, who's been just unbelievable, you know. And I don't even think that we're exactly doing him justice. I mean, he's doing something that none of us have ever seen before. We've never, ever seen any of this. And it's like, I'm not sure how you, you know, conceptualize this when the last person, the last baseball player that did this, pitching and hitting and doing it at a high level was Babe Ruth. Literally was the last player to do this. So it's something that a lot of us have almost like 99% of us have never seen before. So, um, you know, he's been an incredible story. And, um, but, you know, going back to the Red Sox thing, you're going to have two starters. Um, You know, I don't know if there's a chance that JD will make the team. I would be surprised. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if Verdugo makes the team. I think that he was seventh in out in outfield voting, so maybe there's an outside chance he makes it. Um, they have yet to announce the pitchers, so I believe that the all-star voting doesn't involve pitchers, um, but you would assume that Matt Barnes would be one of the relief pitchers that gets selected. Um, but obviously, Devers and Bogarts, I think, will almost certainly be announced as starters uh, tonight, which is great, you know, to of your cornerstone infielders that, you know, have been really, you know, two of the best players, not only on your team, but two of the best players in baseball this season. Um, And it's been an absolute joy to watch the both of them uh, perform so well. So definitely would expect the both of them get on the, uh, 
are on are on the starter or both of them get selected as starters. I don't know what's going on with me today. Um, but you hope that both guys will be selected as starters tonight. Um, so we take a look at the Red Sox, and, you know, it's crazy. We're already approaching the All-Star break. The Red Sox uh, finish their four-game set against the Royals this afternoon. Um and then they will close out the first half of the season. Red Sox actually will go on the road a couple of West Coast series. So they will play the A's starting tomorrow night, and then they will play the Angels, um, and then the Philadelphia, I almost said the Flyers. Uh, the Philadelphia Phillies will visit Fenway, and then that will close out the, se- the first half of the season. So including this afternoon, Red Sox have 10 more games to go. Uh, before the first half finale against the Phillies on July 11th. So, as we take a look at statistics, so, you know, one of the things that I like to do when I'm watching Red Sox games is they get close to the, um, you know, midway point to try to, you know, double the stats to see, oh, this person is on pace for for this. So, you know, brace yourselves here. Uh, But Rafael Devers... um, 19 homers, 64 RBIs, leading the team in both categories um, at the end of the first half. So, um, you know, you double that, that's pretty easy. 38 homers, 128 RBIs, which, you know, is a season that absolutely would put uh, Devers in position to be a finalist and potentially win an American League MVP award. You know, kind of depends on how some of the other guys do in Major League Baseball. But, you know, he's been incredible, tied for the American League lead in doubles, um, has, uh, leads the team in total bases. Have to see what that is in terms of the American League and all of Major League Baseball. But, you know, the season he's put together has been incredible. Um, and, you know, J.D. Martinez, I think, quietly has put together another unbelievable season you know, on pace for another 30 home or 100 RBI season, you know, which is just like light work for him. Um, and then you have Bogarts, who's hitting 330, that probably will challenge for the American League batting title. They think he uh, leads the Red Sox in hits, um, 13 homers, 48 RBIs at the end of the first half, um, or at, at the half, at the midway point of the season. So he'd be on pace for 26 homers and 96 RBIs. You have Verdugo, who's gotten cold a little bit recently, but he's still been a big-time offensive performer that has really um, that has really helped you out in key spots. And you have Hunter Renfro, who's been just like the hottest hitter on the planet in the last couple months. He's already up to 12 home runs, 43 RBIs. You know, if he puts together a second half that is you know, continuing to be, if, if he puts together a second half that is similar to the last two months, there's an outside chance he could hit 30 home runs. Um, I don't think that that's out of the question. Uh, 12 home runs, 43 RBIs at the moment. You have Bobby Dahlbeck, who's hit a lot better recently as 10 home runs, 34 RBIs on the season. Um, and then Kike Hernandez has started to hit really well. Recently, which is a good sign. You know, he had been struggling, I think, mostly out of that leadoff spot, but he started to kind of figure it out a little bit. Marwin Gonzalez has started to hit a little bit better. Um, 
and I think you know you have some interesting interesting thoughts I think as the trade deadline comes closer um, do you want to find an outfielder that you think can hit lead off um, because I think the Red Sox are probably going to need some other bat in their lineup it doesn't have to be another like power hitter but I think you probably want to try to see if you can get someone that's a good contact hitter that you can put in the leadoff spot um, so now looking at the pitching um, Nate Evaldi has had a really strong first half eight and four the 3.67 ERA and 84 strikeouts in 90 and two-thirds innings you have Nick Pavetta who's six and three with a 443 ERA um, and then you have Perez who's been really solid six and four with an ERA just over four. Um, and, you know, Eduardo Rodriguez had a really strong start to his last start against the Yankees. Um, you got to hope that he kind of picks it up um, in the second half of the season. And then you have Garrett Richards, who has definitely been the target of a lot of criticism in Boston recently. Um, is it fair criticism? Absolutely because he's not really been the same guy over the last couple starts, has really had a hard time um, with his pitches that are not his fastball. So, um, you know, you got to hope that he kind of finds his way out of uh, whatever funk he's in. Um, But this will be interesting to watch because you have, you know, five starters on your staff who, you know, you know, knock on wood, all these guys have been healthy. I don't think you've missed a start with any of these guys. Um, I think that Eduardo Rodriguez is the only guy that's not made, you know, 16 starts. You had Tanner Houck that had to make two starts at the beginning of the season. But, you know, your starting rotation has generally been pretty healthy. Um, And so that's been huge. But I think what I'm curious about is once Chris Sale comes back, are you going to roll with a six-man rotation or are you going to move someone to the bullpen? Um, I think that's going to be a really interesting thing to, you know, keep your eye on as Sale gets closer and closer. Um, But then, you know, as I mentioned, you have a bullpen that's been really strong. Um, And so you're really in a good position pitching-wise that you've been healthy. You have have a bullpen that's, I think, really started to get it together over the last few months. Whitlock has been really, really good. You have Ottavino, who's been excellent. Saomura, who's been an unbelievable find. Um, and Josh Taylor, who's pitched really, really well. You know, you just have a number of really outstanding guys in that bullpen um, that can get the ball to Matt Barnes, who's had 18 saves so far this season, a 2.57 ERA. Um, he's been excellent. So, you know, I think the biggest thing for the Red Sox is just keep doing what you're doing offensively. Um, you know, continue to hope that you get the the consistent starting, the the consistent starting pitching, you know, and that you avoid injury. You know, I think that that's easier said than done. You might have a hard time avoiding it, but, you know, I think you get Chris Sale back and, you know, this is a team that I think is going to surprise, continue to surprise a lot of people. Um, So, you know, outstanding season so far for the Red Sox at the halfway point. Be curious to see what the next couple weeks bring as they are going to go on the road, you know, weird things can happen out West. So you got to hope the Red Sox respond well. Um, Obviously do have a game this afternoon against the Royals. So they'll finish this afternoon, then head out on the West coast for six in Oakland and LA. And then we'll come back for three at Fenway against the Phillies. So now as we look at the rest of 
Major League Baseball. I just laughed because I realized it is Bobby Bonilla Day. Um, and the Mets, you know, owe him still a million dollars every July 1st until 2035 or something like that. I think it's something like that. I have to ask our good friend Eric Bellier uh, to maybe come in and talk about that. Um, but it is interesting um, talking about Chris Sale just to continue that conversation that um, he, Chris Sale does believe that his return ultimately could be, you know, a final piece for the Red Sox in terms of putting together um, a championship team. So uh, just some other crazy things that have happened in baseball over the last few nights. The Angels scoring seven runs in the ninth inning last night to beat the Yankees. Uh, things just get worse and worse for the Yankees. And, you know, me as a Red Sox fan, couldn't couldn't happen to a group of nicer guys, but um, just kind of crazy stuff for the Yankees. Really not sure what is going on there. But, you know, as I've said multiple times, I don't think that this is going to be, you know, uh, I don't think this is going to be a common thing for the Yankees the rest of the season. I think they will pick it up at some point. You know, they're way too good, way too talented to be, you know, in the position that they're in right now. I'll take a look at the standings in just a moment. Um, the Nats' Trey Turner hit for the cycle last night. Uh, Josh Donaldson and Lucas Giolito had a little bit of back and forth. Um, on the field and in the media over the last couple days. Uh, always good to have some good, healthy healthy dislike in baseball. It's always good to see stuff like that. Um, and then, you know, obviously there are the um, unfortunate uh, unfortunate allegations that have come out against Trevor Bauer. Um, you got to be, you know, completely just not paying attention to not, you know, to not notice that this has been going on, and it's um, it's really just a, a, almost like a tragic situation that I think, you know, it's kind of difficult for me to talk about, to be perfectly honest. Um, but it's just uh, really you don't want to be seeing that, you don't want to be hearing about that. But um, things like that are serious, and um, you got to hope that really the truth does come out and it can come out and you know it's just kind of a you know it's it's tough to talk about because it is very serious and it is really graphic and you know it's not something I really want to get into but it's just a really really unfortunate situation that you got going on there um so as we look at the standings in major league baseball the Red Sox have a three-game lead on the Rays. Red Sox at 50 and 31. Rays at 47 and 34. The Rays have lost their last three games um, after taking two of three from the Red Sox a couple of weeks ago. Um, the Red Sox, you know, and I've mentioned this a couple of weeks ago that they needed to, you know, start winning some home games. They've done exactly that. They're now nine games over 500 at home. Still have a very good road record away from Fenway Park, so the Red Sox sit pretty comfortably. You know, you look at the Yankees, forty-one and thirty-nine um, at the moment, eight and a half games out of first place, um, and then you have Toronto that actually passed the Yankees, so Toronto's actually in third at the moment. The Yankees fourth, and then the uh, Orioles back in last. In the Central, the White Sox have maintained a pretty healthy lead over Cleveland, a four-game lead. They are in first place. They've won three straight games. Cleveland has lost four straight and four of their last, or six of their last ten, excuse me. 
Um, and then in the West, you have Houston and Oakland that have been battling pretty much since the start, since the get-go um, of the season. Houston has lost four straight, um, so the A's just a half game out of first place. Seattle is six games back in third place. Going over to the National League, the Mets lead in the division has shrunk a little bit as the Nationals have won four straight games. The Mets have lost six of their last ten, so they are only in first place by two games. Uh, Washington has really started to come on strong. Um, That's a division that I think the Mets have to be very careful that Atlanta and Washington do not get hot. Um, because I think, you know, the Mets' road record might come back to bite them, but again, no team in the NL East actually has a winning record on the road. It's kind of been a strange, strange, weird division. You know, you have the Marlins who are in last place, eight and a half back out of first place, and yet they lead the they lead the division in run differential. You know, the Phillies are five games back of first, and they have a far worse run differential. Than the Marlins. It's been a very strange, strange division, um, but the Mets currently still have the lead two games up on Washington. In the central, Milwaukee has widened a big lead in their division. They're now six games up on Chicago as uh, both of those teams have gone the opposite direction. Uh, Brewers have won eight straight and nine of ten, and the Cubs have lost six straight and seven out of ten. So the Brewers really starting to catch their wind as they are uh, fourth best in the National League in run differential at plus 30. So good for the Brewers. They are 48 and 33 at the moment. And then in the West, you have the surprising San Francisco Giants, a plus 97 in run differential at second best in the National League. Uh, they have lost three in a row at the moment, but still sitting at 50 and 29. The Dodgers are a game and a half back. And they have won five straight. And then you have the Padres, who are two and a half games back of first. And they've won three straight and nine out of ten. So, you have a National League West that I think is going to get very interesting as we wind down toward the end of the regular season. I think the National League East is also going to get really crazy. um, You know, as I just went over some of the numbers there. So, that probably does it for, for baseball. We move on to the Celtics. Uh, Coach Ime Udoka had a had his introductory press conference on Monday afternoon, Monday, you know, late morning, whatever you want to say, and, you know, had some pretty interesting comments, um, you know, mentioning the two pillars and Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, you know, mentioned Marcus Smart as a foundational piece. Now, um, I thought that was an interesting comment because it doesn't sound to me like that's the same thing, because if they were the same thing, you probably would have said that. Um, So I don't know what that means for Marcus. Um, You know, I don't know if that means that they might look to trade him because he is in the last year of his contract. You know, that makes things kind of interesting. Um, You know, so we'll get to that. We'll get to the Marcus Smart stuff in a little bit. There were just some thoughts I had on him. Um, But just going back to that press conference, you know, it really seemed like Coach Udoka just said a lot of the right things and a lot of the the things that I think a lot of us as Celtics fans, you know, want to hear that, you know, he wants to, or the players themselves, you know, want to be held accountable. And, you know, that was something that he mentioned. That was, you know, something that reminded me of Bruce Cassidy's 
uh, press conference when he was, you know, replacing Claude Julian after he got fired in 2017, said something very similar, you know, that players want to be held accountable if it's in their makeup. And, you know, Coach Adoka saying something similar that, you know, that was something that Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, um, I'm assuming, you know, had communicated that to him that, you know, hey, we want to be held accountable because we want to be great. Um, and he said that, you know, he will tell the two stars what he, what he told Kawhi Leonard when he was in San Antonio as to why wait, you know, why wait to be to be great. Um, just, you know, go be great right now. And so I think having a coach that's going to push the guys, but not to a point that it's going to, you know, alienate them. You know, and I think it's all about finding that balance between, you know, pushing your guys, getting on your guys when they're not playing well, but also being someone that can support, you know, and be there for the players and be someone that can be relatable, um, someone that's, you know, gone through the battles and some, some coach and a coach that the players respect, you know, not to say that the coach, the players didn't respect Brad Stevens or, you know, couldn't relate to him, but I think that after a certain amount of time, you know, it kind of just goes stale, you know, that I think for whatever reason, guys just kind of tune the coach out and, you know, feel like they need a fresher perspective. And honestly, good on the Celtics for their front office to recognize that maybe it was time for a change, but wanting to keep Brad in the organization because I think he has an excellent basketball mind and I think is someone that, you know, understands the game and can, you know, put together the right pieces on a team. You know, I think just having him in a different role might just be exactly what they need, you know, and kudos to Brad himself to recognize that, you know, he was not the right coach, but here, let me find someone that can be a good fit. And I think he's found someone that's a perfect fit, you know, a player or a coach that the players wanted, you know, it was a hire that the Celtics really wanted to make. You know, he has familiarity with coaching on, you know, some very good teams in the past, coaching under uh, Coach Popovich in San Antonio, you know, having a decent or having having a career that was relatively recent. And, you know, I think having that kind of personal connection with Jalen and Jason and Marcus on that Team USA team. Um, and then he will also be an assistant coach on the Tokyo team this summer that Jason Tatum will be on. Um, so I think that it's, a lot of positive things and you know one of the things he also said is you know he wants to bring out the dog in some in some players um you know and that just that's music to my ears because that's just like Celtics basketball play hard especially defensively you know have that mentality that you're not gonna give anything easy to the opposing team and I think that the Celtics just need a big shot in the arm like that and I think that it's you know, can only mean good things um, with this press conference. And, you know, yeah, I think it's just the press conference. You still have to go out and perform on the court. But, you know, I think that he said all the right things and it should make you feel confident and optimistic that this Celtics team is on the right track. That sure, you know, last season may have been a speed bump, but I think you have the pieces here that I think can be a a team that, you know, surprises some people next year. Um, you know, I think that you look at the moves that Brad Stevens has made, bringing in Udoka as coach and, you know, getting rid of Kemba's contract that, you know, ended up just being too much of an issue. Um, you have a couple moves that I think should make you feel confident. Um, and so just going back to Marcus Smart before we get to 
uh, the NBA playoffs. I think that, you know, he's an interesting player. You know, I think that obviously he brings that, you know, energy and that defensive intensity um, that I think is in, ex, incredibly valuable. And I think really is a guy that, Marcus is a guy that I think really just does well here, you know, and the fans here appreciate him and appreciate his hard play. Um, but I think it is also something to consider that he is in the last year of his contract and, you know, would you consider trading him? And if not, you know, what kind of contract are you going to re-sign him to? Because ultimately that's what's going to happen if you're not going to trade him. I don't think the Celtics would, you know, risk losing him for nothing next summer. Um, but I think that it's going to be interesting to see how the Celtics approach using Marcus. You know, do they slide him into a point guard role and his coach... Yudoka and other coaches, you know, new assistants on the Celtics, which they will have, you know, do they try to work with Marcus on, you know, becoming more of a ball distributor? And, you know, Marcus can do it. He did it in college. He's a pretty solid point guard at Oklahoma State. And, you know, I think the important thing for Marcus is obviously you want to cut down on his shots, but I think that, you know, you don't want him to completely cut shooting out of his game. Um, you know, I think you get through to him that, you know, shooting the basketball at inopportune times, you know, hurts the team. You know, you shoot shots when you get open looks. And I think that this day and age in the NBA, you need a point guard that can step up and make threes. And Marcus certainly is capable of doing that. But I think that, you know, if he's going to be the starting point guard, he needs to start to, you know, be more of a ball distributor, you know, and I think that that's, the biggest thing for whoever is the point guard for the Celtics this season, whether it's Marcus Smart, whether it's some, you know, vet you bring in like Ricky Rubio, for example, you know, that their primary job is to get the ball to Jason and Jalen and whatever other scorers might be on the floor. Um, and so I think that obviously there's some trepidation in terms of, you know, letting Marcus be the point guard because a lot of people are like, oh my God, he's going to be, you know, launching seven threes a game. But I think if you bring in a coaching staff that, that that works with him and tries to, you know, cut down on those jump shots, Marcus could end up being a pretty solid point guard, you know, and I think that he's a pretty solid passer. You know, I know that time time and time again he makes a lot of stupid decisions, but you know, it will be it would be it will be interesting to see how the new, you know, coaching staff works with him and, you know, do you notice a change in his play? Um so I think that you know, he will be interesting, but I think also the Celtics do have some other players that I think they will want to bring back um, and maybe some other moves that they might want to make. Do they want to trade Tristan Thompson, um, who's got a year left on his deal? You know, to be be interesting to see what happens. So we will now get to the NBA playoffs. The Suns obviously dispatching the Clippers last night, uh, 130 to 103 in game six. Chris Paul obviously missed the first couple games of the series, but was back and had 41 last night. He was outstanding. Um, so the Suns in the finals for the first time since 1993 when uh, Charles Barkley was with the Suns. And they lost to the Bulls in the finals, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so the, the Suns have been great. You know, I think they've been probably the best story in the NBA playoffs so far. Um, teams that, you know, I think... <laughs> I think, yeah, they, they've been the best story. I think some people might say the Atlanta Hawks. We'll take a look at them in a moment. Um, but I think that 
you know, just, just the way the Suns have played, just, you know, it's superstar basketball with Booker and with Chris Paul, but you've gotten great contributions from DeAndre Ayton, who's another guy like Trey Young that has really just matured before our eyes in these playoffs um, and has been excellent. You know, he was really good last night at a double-double. I think he had 16 points and 17 rebounds, something like that. Um, but he's been developing into a really solid, you know, franchise center, which is exactly what the what the Suns wanted him to be when they drafted him a few years ago. Um, but they've been excellent, you know, and they have so many outstanding guys that can knock down shots in their starting lineup, like Jay Crowder, like Mikhail Bridges, who, you know, have just been tremendous in these playoffs. You know, Jay Crowder is just, uh, just a dog, you know, <laughs> talking about, um, you know, a comment that Coach Udoka made that, you know, Jay Crowder's just a dog. That guy just is the epitome of, you know, hard, hard work in the NBA. You know, a guy who is not the most talented player. He's not the most athletic, but he makes shots and he just plays with, with an edge that just is like, when, when, whenever you've seen him play for teams that have not been the Celtics, you miss him. You know, the Celtics really this season missed that edge, missed someone who, you know, really just plays with a chip on his shoulder all the time. Um, and you need players like that if you're going to make runs to the finals. Uh, campaign has been awesome as a backup point guard for the Suns. You have guys like Dario Saric, who, you know, honestly, a lot of people forget about him, but he made a couple of big shots last night. You just have so many good, solid offensive players um, off your bench, but guys that also can defend well, especially in transition, you know, and I think the Celtics really need to kind of look at that and be like, okay, you need to have guys on your bench that, you know, really can, can play and understand their role and, you know, don't try to do too much. Um, so, you know, credit to the Suns. They've, I think, been the best team in the playoffs so far, you know, dispatched the Lakers fairly easily swept the Nuggets and then, you know, beating the Clippers. Um, obviously, they're people in the Clippers organization or fan base or whatever that will probably tell you that, oh, Clippers would have won if uh, Kawhi Leonard was healthy. And they might not be wrong, but, you know, that's not what happened. You know, it's just what what happened is what happened. The Suns beat them because they were the better team. Um, and, man, Chris Paul's in the finals for the first time in his career, which is just uh, such a credit to him and, you know, all the hard work that he has put in this season, the last two years, you know, everything that all these NBA players have been through in the last two years or year and a half, whatever you want to say. Um, but just uh, Chris Paul, just a guy that is so hard to dislike, you know, is a guy that's really kind of paid his dues in the NBA and, you know, deserves every bit of, every bit of praise for, you know, coming to this Suns team and really turning them around. You know, obviously it's not all him. I want to make it clear that that's not exactly what happened, that, you know, he didn't just come in and change everything, but, you know, he brings in such a, you know, he brings kind of like a culture of leadership similar to someone like KG. Obviously he's not the same type of player, you know, in terms of his intensity, but, you know, is someone that really understands how to play in the NBA and, you know, really did a tremendous job working with DeAndre Ayton, Devin Booker, and some of those young guys. Um, and they've just been excellent. They've just been a really fun team to watch. And I think that, 
in my opinion, regardless of who comes comes out of the East, I think they probably will be the favorite in the finals. That will probably start sometime next week. Um, so Chris Paul, 41 points in, in the win. You know, I think valiant, valiant effort by the Clippers, um, you know, did about as well as they could have. Uh, Paul George was a really excellent in game five, really was not great last night. But, you know, I think that there's a lot to be said for the Clippers and how much basketball they've played in the last three weeks. You know, they've played a lot of intense, intense basketball. And, you know, it just ended up, I think, just being too much. I think at a certain point, you know, you fall behind 2 nothing in two consecutive series. You know, it's really hard to fall behind by two games in a third consecutive series. I think it just would be, it's just way too much to ask for them. Um, but honestly, it was great to watch a guy like Reggie Jackson, who I think really has struggled to find his footing in his entire career. Um, and really seemed to play, you know, exactly the way that everyone expected him to play when he came into the league. You know, guy just had a hard time, but man, I mean, he just was so good in this in this playoff series. And I think that, you know, he deserves the best, whether it's staying with the Clippers, whether it's getting a big money contract with another team. Um, he's another guy that's really kind of paid his dues in the NBA, and it was good to see him have such a great postseason as as he did. So, Suns will play the winner of the Bucks and the Hawks game five tonight. The Bucks uh, having a chance to go up three one in game four. Hawks get the win, and Giannis with that uh, kind of scary leg injury. I don't recommend you watching the replay. Um, so forced him out of game four. Um, he will not play tonight in game five in Milwaukee, and then obviously you have the Hawks who are dealing with uh, Trey Young, who was hurt and missed Game 4. Uncertain for tonight's game, Clint Capella is also unsure, or uncertain for this game too. So, you know, I think that the Bucks, knowing that Giannis will not be on the floor, I think that it's going to be a big-time test for Chris Middleton um, and Drew Holiday especially. You know, Drew Holiday's had kind of an up-and-down postseason. You know, you've not really seen him at, at his best in this series. This is a tremendous opportunity um, for him in this Game 5. Um, you know, whether or not Trey Young plays, I think that, you know, the Bucks really can't afford to lose this game. You know, I really think that getting blown out in Game 4, having a chance to kind of take control of the series, and they just kind of didn't look themselves. And then obviously Giannis gets hurt, and, you know, their whole season changes. Because I really don't know if you're going to see Giannis the rest of the series. You know, he is out already for Game 5. But, you know, yikes, looking at that injury, and I know that there was no structural damage, but it's just like I don't know how. I just I don't know how to expect him to be able to play the rest of the series. Um, you know, Trey Young's ankle probably a little less serious. It'll be interesting to see, you know, if he does play tonight. But... You know, this is a Hawks team that's been really resilient. You know, you talk about the Clippers being down in a couple of series. The Hawks have been a team that I don't think really many people gave them a chance to do anything at the beginning of the playoffs. I know I didn't. I thought the Knicks were going to beat them in the first round. You know, they play so well against the Knicks. Then they upset the Sixers, and you're like, okay, you know, this team might be for real. And then they steal that first game against the Bucks, and you're like, holy cow, this team might make the finals. Um, they've put themselves in a position that uh, it'd be pretty hard to not 
bring Nate McMillan back. I still can't believe that he doesn't have a contract yet. I mean, geez, what does he have to do to get that? I mean, the Hawks have overachieved like you would not believe. I mean, this is like this is like Celtics in 2018 uh, when Kyrie gets hurt, Gordon Hayward is hurt, obviously, that whole season, and the Celtics go to Game 7. I mean, that's basically what you're seeing from this Hawks team, that they are overachieving. Um, and it's not to say that they're not a good team. They are an excellent young team. They have a lot of really good young pieces. Collins, Trey Young, who has played like an MVP candidate in the playoffs. Um, I feel like they should give an MVP for the playoffs like they do in, uh, like they do in hockey. But you have him, you have Collins, you have Herter, you have uh, Bogdanovich, who's you know a young player. who's not like a, a homegrown Hawks player, but... Still, just that, that team has been excellent. You know, I think that the Bucks have to be really careful in this game, but I think that the Bucks win. I think that they are back on home floor. I think they win game five. And maybe there's a small chance that Giannis could play in game six, possibly game seven. Um, it's just unfortunate that you're seeing some star players having to miss some games. You know, I think it's just the nature of the game. You know, sure, if you want to say it's the all the games that they've had to play this season, I think that that's legit. Um, but I think also it's just it's just how it goes. You know, I don't think it's because guys are tired. It very well could be. Um, but, I mean, me personally, watching that Giannis play, that's kind of a freak injury. I don't really think that that's something where it's like, oh, if you played fewer games, you know, you would have less of a chance at getting hurt, which you might, but i just not not sure if I see the the correlation but big game for the bucks um i think they win tonight i think that this is a low scoring rock fight type of game um you saw that in game four of the clippers suns where it was 84 to 80 i think you could see a game like that tonight um in milwaukee so that game is 8 30 on tnt and it does actually make me realize that when we you know meet up with you guys or talk with you guys next week um, it will be the start of the NBA Finals on ESPN, which means that there will be no more basketball on TNT, um, and it marks it will mark the end of Marv Albert's legendary broadcast career um, at TNT. So I just wanted to say a quick note: congratulations to Marv! What a career he's had. You know, I know that obviously there's some people that maybe don't like listening to him now, but. Um, he's a guy that's had a tremendous career and definitely has had uh, a mark on me as, you know, trying to come up as a young broadcaster a number of years ago. Um, definitely someone that, that I admired as, you know, being one of the voices of the NBA for so long. You know, I think it's, um, you know, only fitting that, you know, he'll he'll retire to in some playoff games. I think that it's uh, an excellent career and, you know, wish him, wish him the best. Um, so I think... Some other NBA news, Chauncey Billups hired by the Trailblazers. Um, I think it's a good hire for Portland. You know, I think that they were in need of kind of a fresh voice. Very curious to see what goes on with Damian Lillard, whether he stays or he doesn't. Um, some of you may have noticed on Instagram, a good friend Derek Welch and I were having a conversation yesterday um, at some potential trade packages for Damian Lillard that we were noticing on Twitter that uh, really seemed to be getting out of hand. Um, but I'll be interested to see what happens with him this summer. Um, he's not coming to the Celtics. I, I hate to I hate to be that person. Well, I've always been that person 
Who am I kidding? I love being this person. It's not going to happen. The Celtics are not going to trade for Damian Lillard. It's just not going to happen. Um, so I think, you know, better off thinking about next summer when the Celtics will probably have a third max slot and they can bring in someone like that. They're not trading for Damian Lillard. I just don't think that they can do that um, at the moment. So I think it's a good hire by the Blazers. You know, I think that, um, I don't know, does this affect whether Damian Damian Lillard gets traded or not? Does it affect whether C.J. McCollum gets traded or not? I don't really think it matters. You know, I think it's a good hire for for Portland, but um, I don't know if it's really going to make a difference as to whether a player gets traded or not. Um, but, you know, good for Chauncey, good to, for him to get an opportunity. Um, you know, it is legit that there are questions about his um, involvement in that 1997 um, case. I can't remember what I feel really embarrassed that I don't remember what the case was. But, you know, I think that it's it's legit to ask some questions and, you know, wonder why the, the things happened that they did. Um, I don't know if the... Portland Trailblazers necessarily handled that as well as they could have, um, you know, basically not allowing him to answer a question about that incident. But, you know, I think it, it's a learning experience, I guess. But, you know, I think that it's something that I think is, is fair, to, fair to ask about. Um, but I think that he will end up being a good hire for, for the Trailblazers. Um, as we look around the league, not really a whole lot. You know, Jason Kidd, obviously hired by the Mavs. Rick Carlisle with the Pacers. And now, obviously, Chauncey Billups with Portland. Still have a couple of head coaching uh, vacancies. I believe that the Magic and the Pelicans still are looking for a head coach. Um, the Lakers are bringing in David Fisdale as an assistant coach to Frank Vogel. Um Seems like LeBron's time in the Olympics has probably come to an end, according to Jerry Colangelo. Um, you know, some of the guys on that roster, Damian Lillard, uh, Tatum, obviously, uh, Bradley Beal, uh, Kevin Love, Draymond Green, Zach Levine, uh, Jeremy Grant, I think, is on the team now because uh, James Harden is about out. You're going to see Kevin Durant, so... It uh, will be an exciting Olympics for guys like Jason Tatum who will be there for the first time. Um, so that will be some good stuff to see. Um, so I think that's probably it What we probably it for what we have for the NBA. I think we'll move on to the NHL, take a look at some award winners. No surprises here. Connor McTavid winning the uh, Most Valuable Player Award, uh, which is like, Probably the most obvious of awards, winning it unanimously. I think he's the second time ever a player has won it unanimously. I mean, it makes sense. He's, I mean, 105 points in 56 games. I mean, that's just unheard of. That's just completely crazy. Um, I know things didn't work out for him in the, the Oilers in the playoffs, but he was just amazing this season. I think that you know, anytime you have a special season like that, you deserve the MVP. I mean, it's very much like uh, Nikita Kucherov two years ago when he put up 130 points in an 82-game season. It was something like that. So, um, you know, big congrats to McDavid. First um, unanimous, first unanimous Hart Trophy winner since Wayne Gretzky in 1981-82. So, 
tremendous honor for for McDavid there. Um, in terms of the voting for the Hart Trophy, is interesting. Brad Marchand um, not getting obviously not no one got any other first place votes other than McDavid, um, but Marchand did get six second place votes um, and finished fifth overall in terms of MVP voting. So uh, fantastic year for Marchand. He actually was um, selected to the first the NHL the All NHL first team as uh, the top left winger in hockey. Uh, McDavid. Mitch Marner, uh, Adam Fox, Kale McCarr, and Vasilevsky, I think, were also selected. Uh, Marc-Andre Fleury winning the Vesna Trophy as the top goalie in the league. First time he has won that award. Um, he was tremendous this season for Vegas. Was really good in that first-round playoff series against Minnesota. Um, Vegas ultimately losing to the Canadians in six games in the semifinals, but Fleury was really outstanding this season. Um, as we take a look at some of the other goalies that were nominated, Andre Vasilevsky, I think just barely finished behind Fleury in for second place, Philip Grubauer in third, Hellebuck in fourth place, and then Simeon Varlamov in fifth. And then for the Norris Trophy, Adam Fox from the Rangers winning, which I thought was the, the definitely the right guy to win. You know, I thought that obviously you had some other finalists like um, Hedman and Kale McCarr, but I think that, you know, Fox was the defenseman that did the best with not as good of a supporting cast. Um, and not to say the Rangers are not a good team, but I just think, you know, considering what he did with a supporting cast that wasn't at the level of Tampa Bay and Colorado, I think that he definitely... Um, deserve that Charlie McAvoy finishing fifth place in the Norris Trophy voting, which is great. It's a uh, five jumped up five places from last year, um, so I think that definitely shows you that he is starting to make his ascent. He actually got two first place votes for the Norris this season, so that was um, great to see for Charlie uh, Kirill Kaprizov winning winning the Calder Trophy. Really no surprises there. Um, I know that I said that uh, Jason Robertson for the uh, Stars had had a really good season, so he finished in second place. Alex Nedeljkovic of Carolina finishing in third. Um, So, you know, really, I think the good thing about these awards is it went to the right people, Um, and I think that that's the most important thing. I think that Adam Fox was the rightful winner, obviously Kaprizov. Rookie of the Year, Calder Trophy. No one's going to fight you on McDavid. Um, Flurry, I think, was definitely it was worth. It was. I think he definitely was worthy of it. I think it not him not winning before definitely played into it a little bit. Not to say that he wasn't deserving, but I think that me personally, Andre Vasilevsky is the best goalie in the NHL. But you know, Flurry definitely would not discount the season that he had. At the age that he's at, you know, he's a guy that's been around number one overall pick in 2003. He's almost played in the league for 20 years. Um, And to continually play at, you know, such a high level is, you know, big, big credit to him and his work ethic. You know, ever since coming to Vegas, you know, he was that first kind of goalie kind of face of the franchise, if you will. And he's almost had like a second career after that. Um, performing really well, winning the Vezna for the first time um, in his career. So um, 
There are also some other rumors that were in, involving the Bruins. The Bruins, obviously, last season had um, talked about talked to the Arizona Coyotes about a trade for Oliver Ekman Larson, the captain of the Coyotes, who currently has uh, six years left on his on his uh, on his contract. It's a big time contract. Um, so the Bruins were interested in him. I think at one point in the off season, um, ultimately did not pull the trigger, you know, and I think it's because he's got this big contract that yes, he's 29, you know, isn't, isn't a half bad defenseman is a guy that can eat big minutes is definitely a guy that can play top pair minutes if you need him to. Um, but it's just that contract is preposterous. He is due to make 8.25 million over the next six years. Um, and I think that obviously that's a contract that the Bruins are not going to be willing to take on. I think that if the if a trade gets made, the Bruins are going to ask Arizona to eat a, eat some of that contract um, or retain some of that salary, as you know people say in hockey. Um, so I think I think that again he's not a bad player. I don't think that he's a player that I look at and say, oh my god, like. He's not going to, oh my God, like he's not that good. You know, I think that he is a pretty solid defenseman. He's a pretty solid offensive guy. That's kind of what he's been known as um, his whole career. Um, had a couple of 40-point years uh, not too long ago. Had a 50-point season in 15-16. Um, had 24 points this past season in 46 games. Um, so, you know, I think that... Me personally, I don't want to see him on the Bruins because I just think even if you retain, even if Arizona retains like 1.25, which is what they've been rumored to want to be willing to retain, that's still a lot of money for a long period of time. And I think that, you know, it might not be worth it. But at the same time, you know, you heard you heard what Neely said a few weeks ago that the Bruins have been looking for kind of that big that big left shot defenseman who can eat minutes and can kind of be an all around player. And, you know, if it's not going to be Ekman Larson, I don't know who fits that profile. You know, me personally, I think that you could look at Alec Martinez, but that's a, that's a short term fix. You know, the way that Neely was talking is like, they want to find someone with term and it's like, yeah, Ekman Larson's got term, but it's just like, you really want to be paying him seven or 8 million for that long a period of time. I just, I don't know if it's worth it. Um, so, you know, I don't think that I would make that trade. You know, I think the Bruins are going to have to be uh, careful on this. But one way that they could make this trade is uh, dealing for Connor Garland, who is uh, scheduled to be a restricted free agent this summer. He's from Situate. Um, had a really strong year for Arizona this past season. Uh, 39 points in 49 games. And also played for Team USA at the World Championships at 13 points in 10 games there. Um, so I think that, you know, Garland would be a good addition. I think he could be someone that you could look at. You know, I mentioned Kevin Fiala last week. He could be someone else that you could bring in on a trade. and He could be a really solid guy who could play on the second and third line and be expected to score 20 to 25 goals. Um, but I just think... I don't know. The real question is if the Bruins were willing to take Garland, you know, would this make a deal for Ekman Larson look better? 
you know, and I think that I don't know if that would make the trade better. Me personally, I still wouldn't make the trade. I just, you know, I don't know. It's just that that contract and that money for Eklund Larson just kind of scares me. But at the same time, you know, he is a defenseman that I think if you brought in, you know, and you, you dealt presumably a first-round pick, probably another draft pick, maybe even another, um, probably Jake DeBrusque and probably someone like Vakaninen, you know, it might be worth it. You know, I think that you look at his skill set and what he could bring, and I think that he's someone that you could put on that second pair with Brandon Carlo, you know, and you could feel pretty confident about that. Um, I just don't know what it's going to do for the Bruins cap situation because, you know, seven, eight million is a lot. The Bruins only have, you know, about 30 million, which sounds like a lot, but there are a couple guys that I think the Bruins really need to bring back. Rask, Mike Riley, uh, Krejci, and Taylor Hall. You know, I just think that you could get it. It, it could get a little a little hairy there. That I don't know if you'd be able to fit. You know, all that money and and Connor Garland's a restricted free agent. You have to sign him. So, you know, obviously it would be the case with Kevin Fiala. So, you know, it's it's interesting. I think that again, as much as I say, I don't think I want to do this trade. I'm not sure where else they're going to be able to get, you know, a defenseman that kind of fits the profile of a top four minutes eater that can be a versatile defenseman the way that, you know, Neely was talking. I just think, like, I don't know where else you're going to find that. So, you know, that will be interesting to keep your eye on. Um, We will talk about the Stanley Cup Finals. Two games have been played, the Lightning beating the Canadians. Again, last night in game two, three to one, you know, I think that it's just kind of Montreal has had, has, has had their, their fantastic run and credit to them. Um, but I just think you've run into a freight train in the Tampa Bay Lightning who just are too good. They're just, I think that the team is way too talented. They're built for playoff hockey. Uh, Marissa and Jemmy wrote this great article maybe two weeks ago about their about their defense group um, and just how good and how deep it is. Um, and it's just like, as much as Vegas is a solid team, they're not quite good enough in terms of what they can roll out defensively and in the goaltending department. Now, Fleury and Vasilevsky, you know, both very good goalies, but you look at what Tampa Bay rolls out on defense— I mean, you have a guy like David Savard who's playing third-pair minutes. On some teams, he could be a first-pair defenseman. Like, that's how deep they are. You know, you have Victor Hedman, who's, you know, a top-five defenseman in the league on the top pair, and then you have Ryan McDonough and Eric Chernak, two guys that could be a top-pair top-pair defense unit on a lot of other teams. And then you have Sergachev, who's a really solid young defenseman, Young, def- solid young defenseman, and David Savard, who's just a rock back there, who, you know, is someone that, if he wasn't probably going to be expensive to sign this summer, I would have the Bruins go after him. I just think he might be a little too expensive, but, I mean, he's a guy who's just a rock defensively, just is so good, is a solid skater, is a really good penalty killer, you know, is someone who is similar to Kevin Miller, except he's not made of glass. So, you know, it just goes to show you how deep they are defensively, and that's not even talking about 
the talent that they can roll out offensively, which is, you know, rivals the best, the best, most talented offensive teams in the league. You know, when you look at a team like, let's say, like Colorado um, or, or Carolina, you know, in terms of what they can roll out in terms of offensive talent. And it's just, it's almost unfair, you know. And you have a team like Montreal who has been a good story. They've played really, really well when their backs have been against the wall, especially against Toronto. Um, but they have not quite faced a team quite like Tampa Bay. I think Vegas is close to it. And sure, you could say Vegas, yeah, they were the better team this year. They had more points. But you have a Tampa Bay team who it's basically the same roster as last season. Um, you know, they're just so good and just so deep. And it's just, it's really, it's been hard for the Canadians to do anything. They've only scored two goals in the first two games. You know, getting a goal last night on a shot that never should get through any 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 level of hockey. But, you know, it's just, I think, again, credit to them for how, how good they've been in the playoffs. But Tampa Bay just is a totally different animal. Uh, 5-1 in game one, 3-1 last night. Uh, Blake Coleman scored an amazing goal at the end of the second period, uh, diving and tipping the puck. Yeah, this is not the first time he's done something like that. Um, and man, just an outstanding playoff performer. And yeah, if I was the Bruins, I'd I'd throw a good amount of money at him uh, to bring him in, bring him to to the to the Bruins. Um, so, two games to none, Tampa Bay leads. Um, I think this game three is the series right here. Um, Tampa Bay wins. I think the series is over in a sweep. Um, if Montreal wins, you know, I think there's possibility that this could be a longer series. But I just think the way Tampa Bay is playing right now the way that they are just suffocating defensively. They're slowing down a, a team in Montreal who, you know, Carey Price can only do so much. You know, he can't score goals for you. And I think that Montreal, they're going to need to score some goals if they're going to have any chance of winning this series. Um, but again, good story. But I think that Tampa Bay is just way too good and way too deep. Um, you know, Montreal is a defense that kind of rivals them, but I think that, offensively they're just having a hard time figuring anything out but who knows it could change a lot of things could change going to Montreal you never know what that place so uh, definitely game three is a must watch game three will be tomorrow night at eight in Montreal the uh, Canadians will allow I think close to 10,000 fans for this game so um, they will get some more fans in the building which will be great Good to have fans in Montreal. You know, hope they don't win because I'm a diehard Bruins fan. Never, ever rooting for that rival. I don't care who they're playing against. Um, but, yeah, I'll be honest. It's probably will be cool to see Stanley Cup hockey in Montreal. I'm not going to say that it's, you know, not cool. I think that'll be pretty cool. But um, I think that that, that will be fun. So, um couple of notes from around the NHL. There's a lot of stuff floating around today in the last couple of days. Uh, Ryan Nugent Hopkins uh, signing a new deal with the Oilers, an eight-year deal uh, worth, I think it was 40, $41 million. So, you know, not a big cap hit. You know, I think that he's actually taking a bit of a, a discount in terms of his average annual value. I mean, I think he probably could make more money on a on a smaller deal somewhere else, but 
sounded like he wanted to be there in Edmonton, so he gets the deal done. Um, just coming in today, uh, Victor Arvidsson traded traded to the Kings for a couple of draft picks, so the Kings get a pretty good player. Arvidsson's not really been the same guy over the last two years, has kind of struggled to score some goals, but who knows, a change of scenery might be worth it. I'm not really sure what Nashville's... Um, I'm not sure what Nashville's plan here is. I'm not sure what motivated them to do this. Um, but I think it's a good get for the Kings. Kings, obviously, were really good last year. I thought that they were really... I shouldn't say really good, because obviously they didn't make the playoffs. But, you know, they were a team that I think they were expected to be bad, and they ended up actually competing for a playoff spot for some part, some parts of the season. So um, that's an interesting deal. You know, again, not really sure what Nashville's motivation was, but um, they get a couple draft picks, a second round pick this upcoming draft, and then a third round pick um, next year as well. So a couple of news things out of Toronto. Obviously, Jason Spezza was returning. Wayne Simmons, I think, is also returning. Um, and it sounds like Frederick Anderson is also open to returning for Toronto. Toronto is an interesting team um, because I think they're a team that, um, you know, could be a possibility that Jack Campbell gets taken by Vegas, by uh, Seattle in the expansion draft. So I think that that's, that's interesting. Um, Jonathan Taves also opened up um, about his struggles last season as he struggled with chronic immune response syndrome. Um, so it kept him out of last year, uh, kept him out of playing last year, which, you know, is tough. And I think that I, you know, respect him for opening up and saying what he was struggling with. And, you know, I know that hockey is a game that the players don't typically like to, you know, talk about things like that. But I think that it's good for him to come out and acknowledge that, you know, this is what I was going through. And, you know, definitely a big respect to him. You know, he's one of the most well-respected players in the league over the last, you know, however long his career has been. Um, but sounds like he plans to play for the Blackhawks next season, which will be a welcome sight. And there's, yeah, a lot of stuff coming out of Chicago when you're talking about the Blackhawks. And um, it's it's impossible to ignore the um, sexual assault scandal that's going on. And, you know, it needs to be taken seriously, as does all you know, all accusations of, of sexual assault, you know, it's not something that is to be taken lightly. And, you know, if you've paid attention to some of the details that have come out, it's disturbing and it's um, horrifying to be perfectly honest, you know, that I really don't want to get into details, but, you know, if you want to know more about the story, you can read, you can look it up. Um, you can read articles on the athletic Katie Strang from ESPN, I think wrote an article I feel like I feel like she might not be working for ESPN, but you can go check um, her article out. Not sure what publication it was for, but you know it's it's disturbing and it's unfortunate and it's just really sad that you know you have an ownership group that just kind of failed to do anything and it's just um, it's just it's created a lot of you know negative energy around the league and it's just. I really don't know, you know, how else to put it other than it's just really just sad and, and tragic and just not okay and not something that, you know, should be allowed to fly in the National Hockey League. And, you know, I think that the league needs to 
do something and step up and, you know, properly investigate this because I don't really know if they are. Um, and it's just, it's just, it's sad. It really is. So, um, that's the other thing going on. Uh, there's the expansion draft and the NHL draft will take place later this month on ESPN as the, you know, league will take over the, the broadcast deal as, uh, that will be exciting to have some ho- have hockey on ESPN. Um, it'll be really interesting to see, you know, how, how it looks. You know, credit to NBC for what they did for the league, you know, especially after the lockout um, in 2004. Um, you know, did a lot of great things for the league. Um, and I think put the league in this position where they can go to ESPN, go to TNT, and continue to grow the game. Um, so I think that it's going to be awesome. It'll be fun to see it on on ESPN, fun to see it on, you know, a channel that, you know, casual sports fans will tune into. And, you know, hopefully you can grow the game into more than just fans who are who are white, you know, get to, you know, other demographics that I think could really help the game. Um, so we will move on to the NFL, talk a little about the Patriots. There's not a whole lot going on in the NFL right now. At the moment, Ryan Ramchek getting a new deal with the Saints was their left tackle the last couple of years. He's getting a new deal. Um, so the Saints, you know, they're an interesting team to watch this year. Um, obviously, Jason or Jameis Winston taking over the starting quarterback position. I think that that will be uh, very curious to see what happens with them. Uh, the Steelers are expected to bring in uh, Sam Sloman, who's a former Titans kicker. Uh, last season, he also kicked for the Rams not too long ago. I can't remember if it was this past season or the year before. Um, I think that, you know, getting closer to training camp, I think it'll be interesting to see, you know, what happens with the Patriots. Um, again, you know, it's a really pretty quiet time in the NFL as, you know, training camps are still about three weeks or so away. I believe that the Patriots will open up training camp to veterans i think it was the july 27th that veterans have to report and then there's a public session on the 28th and then there'll be public sessions all that week um, and then the patriots you know will get ready for their uh, preseason games so the one patriots thing that i think we should touch on uh, stefan gilmore made it pretty clear the other day that he's not super happy with the amount of money that he's making uh, with a tweet on twitter tweeting out the uh top 10, I think, highest paid cornerbacks in the league. And, you know, obviously he's not super happy about that. Um, you know, leads you to believe that maybe the Patriots might trade him. But there was a report last night that he actually doesn't expect to be traded. So, you know, it's an interesting situation. You know, I think that I had this conversation a couple of days ago with some people that, you know, it's not in Bill Belichick's nature to... Um, have a player complaining about their contract, whether it's in the media or whether it's, you know, in the locker room itself, you know, he's not someone that's going to tolerate a distraction. And I think that that's kind of what you've come to expect from him. Um, yeah. Throughout his whole head coaching career here in new England. Um, and I think that, you know, it's, it's a challenging situation because, um, you know, Gilmore is only making $7 million in terms of a base salary this season. You know, it's a restructured deal that he made. And, 
um, is made it happy that or made it clear that he's not happy with the amount of money that he's making that's well below market value for a player of his caliber, a player that was an all pro two years ago and three years ago. You know, I know that maybe he did not play as well this season, you know, didn't make all pro, was hurt for at the end of the season, but I don't know, it was 2020. I think it's hard to take a lot of, it's hard to take into account that whole season that, you know, is it really a mark of him taking a step back or is it something to do with pandemic and, you know, him maybe not being himself based on an injury? Um, And he has, you know, been recovered from um, that torn quad. So it seems like he can be a guy that can still play at a high level. He still believes he can be that. And I think, you know, he's 31 and I think it's, you know, it's it's fair to talk about his age and talk about, you know, whether he can still perform at an all-pro level. Um, but he still, to me, is one of the best cornerbacks in the league and is a guy that at outside cornerback where the Patriots are very thin behind him. You know, I don't really know if, can they really afford to trade him? You know, I think that obviously we know about Bill Belichick and doesn't want distractions and would trade a player, but... You know, it's it's curious to me that Gilmore doesn't believe that he'll get traded. Um, so I don't know if this means that a new deal is coming. Um, but I think that, you know, you have... I think that you will get an agreement that's reached. I don't think it's going to be maybe exactly um, what Gilmore wants. I mean, you could see something like he, they just, you know, structure his contract in a way that he just can get paid more money this season, um, you know, or you just give him an extension. Um, I think it's, 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 it's concerning because you don't have a lot, you don't have a lot behind him in terms of what you have in the secondary. Sure, you have J.C. Jackson. And sure, you have Jonathan Jones, but Jonathan Jones is more of an inside guy. And, you know, you you are going to be asking a lot of Juwan Williams, you know, any of those other young guys who I don't know if they're really ready to be a full-time starting, starting cornerback. And I think, you know, you have to think about what it is you have on your roster and are you really comfortable in letting him go? And certainly you could trade him, you could get some picks, but... I don't know. I think that I would rather keep him. I would rather keep him for this season or for maybe the next couple years. Obviously, you would want to keep him on a reasonable amount of money, but something where he doesn't feel it's disrespectful. Him being a $7 million player is ridiculous. Like, he's much better than that. I will tell you that, like, I don't think this is a situation where he's wanting more money than is you know, reasonable, you know, I don't really think he's asking for a lot. And I think the Patriots aren't really in a position that they can just let him go. Um, Obviously, it would be very in the nature of Bill Belichick to let him go in terms of, you know, trading him or cutting him or something like that. But I don't think that this is a situation where you can afford to lose him and expect that you're going to be able to get an okay level of performance from other players on your roster, you know, unless there's some other move that's in the works. But that's, seems like it's out of the question. Um, But I think there could be some scenarios where you could bring Gilmore back 
you maybe give him some more money this season, you know, or you give him a two-year extension or something like that. I can't really see them going past two years, you know, because he's 31. I don't really think you want to make any, you know, long-term promises with for a player that's that's at that age. But, you know, it's 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 a delicate situation. It's not an ideal situation to pee in if you're the Patriots because, you know, he's got a year left on his contract and, you know, are the Patriots really willing to keep him past that? But I think that, you know, the report that he doesn't expect to be traded, that's in line with, I think, the thinking that if the Patriots really wanted to trade him, they would have traded him by now, that they would have traded him at the draft, they would have traded him, you know, a couple of weeks ago. I think that this means that they kind of want to, to hang on to him, but I think that you have to be very careful that he doesn't, you know, hold out and become a distraction, because if that happens, the Patriots will trade him. There's absolutely no doubt in my mind that, you know, if they don't come to an agreement, you know, he becomes really annoyed, doesn't report to training camp, and it becomes a problem. There's no way that Bill Belichick's going to allow that to continue to happen. So I would hope that the Patriots get something done with him in the next few weeks. Um, I know that there are some people out there that think that he's, you know, being greedy or whatever, and, you know, you'd be better off without him. But I don't really think that's the case. I think, you know, you have to really be sure what you're doing if you are going to trade him or if you're going to cut him loose or whatever you're going to do um, because you really don't have a lot left um, in terms of outside cornerback. So um, I think that's probably all I got for the Patriots and the NFL training camp, obviously, a couple weeks away, but we'll continue to keep you guys updated with all kinds of things from the NFL. So we will get to... Uh, some soccer stuff. The uh, Revolution are back in action on Saturday night against the Columbus Crew. Revs got a couple wins after their international break, did lose on Sunday night to FC Dallas um, in Frisco, Texas. So the Revolution uh, losing for the first time in, I think, six games because they had won their previous five. Revolution still in first place in the East, Gustavo Bo with five goals leads the team. Um, and you have Matt Turner, who's been tremendous and uh, was also named to the Gold Cup roster that just got uh, released today for the U.S. So obviously you have a couple guys, Adam Buxa, Gustavo Bo, been scoring goals. But you had uh, Tejan Buchanan and Dewan Jones scored a couple goals uh, last week against the Red Bulls. So the Revolution continued to just be playing at a really high level Um just a point or two points behind Seattle for the lead in the entire league, but the Revolution are up two points on Orlando City for first place in the conference. So Revolution will host or will play at Columbus on Saturday evening, and then they will host Toronto FC on Wednesday the 7th. So that's what you're looking for for the next two Revolution games. Um, so... Only two regulation losses for the Revs. They've been a really excellent, excellent team. Um, it's been you know tremendous that they've gotten off to the start that they've gotten off to. Um, I think that that was really one of the issues last season is they just really struggled to find their momentum until you know kind of late in the season. Um, but it's been good stuff for the Revs. Seven two and two at the current moment. I think the league is playing. 
I don't remember what the total number of games is, but they might be like a third of the way through the season. Um, and Carlos Eel, you know, playing at a tremendous MVP level, MVP level that I think the Revolution have not seen from a player on their team in a very long time. So um, great, great start for the Revolution. Hopefully they can continue that with a match against Columbus on Saturday. Columbus 4-3-3 three, and three on the season. This game is in Ohio Revolution obviously will play them as a again another rematch from the Eastern Conference final from last season. Revolution did beat Columbus one to nothing in a game earlier this season. Adam Buxa scored uh, late in that one. Revs won one to zero. So we'll see how they do on Sunday. Game is at five o'clock on ESPN. So if you are interested in the Euros, uh, there actually are a couple of champion there are a couple of games on saturday that actually will lead into the revolution game um but on friday there will be two quarterfinal matches spain against switzerland and then belgium against italy you saw some uh, really crazy games um, in the round of 16 specifically spain beating croatia in extra time five to three croatia down two goals with about 10 minutes left they come back to tie the game with two goals, Spain scoring twice in the extra time, so they win 5-3. to three. And then Switzerland and France. France having a two-goal lead with about 10 minutes left. Switzerland gets two to tie, and then they win in penal- on penalty kicks. Mbappe missed the uh, last penalty kick, and Switzerland makes the Switzerland goaltender makes the save. So Switzerland moves on. Ukraine beats Sweden in extra time scoring about five minutes before the end of the game. That was pretty entertaining. And then England beating Germany 2-0. to zero. So the quarterfinal games, Switzerland against Spain tomorrow at noon, and then Belgium-Italy tomorrow at 3. That's definitely the game to circle on your calendar for the quarterfinals. I think that's going to be a game that very well you could see the winner of the tournament coming out of that game. Um, you know, neither team were particularly strong in their round of 16 games Belgium beating Portugal one nothing Italy being beating Austria two to nothing or two to one in extra time but that will be an interesting game to watch you have Czech Republic and Denmark Saturday at noon Czech Republic coming off a two nothing win against the Netherlands in the round of 16 that was kind of a surprise um, and then Denmark destroying Wales four to nothing in their round of 16 match And then in the final quarterfinal match, Saturday at 3 o'clock, England and Ukraine will play. England coming off a 2-0 win against Germany in the round of 16. And Ukraine obviously beating Spain, beating, um, beating Sweden 2-1. So this will be an interesting game. Um, England was a team that I think, you know, really just did not look like themselves for most of that game against Germany. But then they come back with two late goals, Harry Kane, Raheem Sterling, with both of those goals. So England in the quarterfinals. So you have a potential for four really good games. And then the semifinals will probably be a couple of days after. Um, so we will take a look at the WNBA standings really quickly. Um, it is good to note that about 99% of the WNBA players have been fully vaccinated, which is great. Um, 
Maya Moore named an Arthur Ashe honoree at the uh, ESPYs, which will be in a few weeks. Diana Taurasi, the first WNBA player to score 9,000 points. That was um, a few days ago. So, I mean, just an absolute legend in women's basketball. So, great news there. Um, Taking a look at the standings, there is one game tonight, Connecticut against Indiana. Connecticut is 11-5. and five. They're starting to pull away a little bit in the Eastern Conference. A two-game lead over the Chicago Sky. Connecticut at 11-5, and five, and they've won their last three games. Lead the conference in point differential. And then you have Las Vegas and Seattle, who are now tied atop the Western Conference. Both teams at 12-4. and four. So, last little note. Well, it's hardly... I don't want to make it sound like that, that it's not important, um, but it is. You have college athletes that can finally um, get um, get paid based on uh, from their name and their likeness um, and all that sort of thing, which I think is 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 outstanding. And it's it's honestly about time. You know, I think that it's something that there are people that feel passionate about but it's just like I don't really know how you can come up with an argument to tell me that they don't deserve to be paid because you know you have tons of athletes who you know are really really strong college athletes I mean we see this in in every professional sport that you know you have strong college athletes but then they get to the pros and for whatever reason just doesn't work out you know that the skills don't translate you know the situation they're put in is not the best and they're just kind of left by themselves. And I think that it's about time that they are able to earn some money from what they do in college because you have, you know, universities and TV networks that make millions of dollars off these athletes and they're not able to make any of it. And, you know, is that going to be a problem for college sports? Some people might think so. You know, I don't think so. I don't think you're going to have athletes that are just going to care about the money. But it's just like when you hear, you know, the horror stories of some of the most famous athletes on the planet, you know, play in college and, you know, just have to, you know, struggle for everything. And it's just, it just, it just doesn't seem right that you have all these athletes who have struggled and, you know, can't make money off their likeness and they're left you know, really in not a great situation when they're in college. Sure, they go to the pros and they make millions of dollars, but it's like it doesn't always happen that way for for a for a bunch of for a number of athletes. So, you know, I think that it's it's about time that something like this happened that, you know, athletes can start to get paid from their likeness, whether they're in video games, you know, on T V and things like that. So I think that it's it's about time. You know, I really I don't really want to be here for the arguments against it. I really don't see what the what the point is. You know, sure, it's less money for the schools, more money for the athletes, but it's like, isn't that the point? Um, you know, I think it's it's I, I think it's it, it's it's about time that this happened. And I think that it's going to be good for for these athletes. You know, you know, whatever you can make an argument, whatever if it's bad for college sports, whatever. But it's just like. It's about the athletes, and that's what it should be about. That's what that's what college athletics should have should always be about. It's about the athletes, not about the schools, the athletes, because that's what 
you know, that's what puts schools on the map is performance of athletes. You know, you think about, you know, the University of Alabama, they're, you know, been an unbelievable football team. You think about all the unbelievable talent that they've had out of there. Sure, you can make an argument that it's, you know, Nick Saban and things like that. But you have schools out there that have been popular because of, you know, athletes that have been there. You know, you go back to UNC, they're popular. Michael Jordan was there, you know. You think about all the great players that have come out of the that have come out of Duke, that have come out of UC, UCLA, have come out of Indiana, you know, places like that. And I think that the players and the athletes have put those places on the map. And I think that it's about time they deserve to make a little bit of money. So, um, really, landmark announcement the other day. So that has gone into effect today. And who knows? You might see NCAA football in the near future, which would be awesome. Be curious to see what they do with the cover. I mean, I think it would be cool if they did a cover with like all the other former um, athletes who have ever been on the cover of NCAA football. Um, I think that that would be a cool gesture. Um, to like Johnny Menzel, Denard Robinson, you think about all the athletes that have been on the cover um, of that game. I think that that would be kind of cool. Um, so that'll be great to have that video game back and great for whoever's on the cover can, can make a little bit of money. So um, with that, I think that that probably does it for, for me this week for a podcast. want to let um, everyone enjoy a happy and healthy uh, July 4th weekend. Fourth is on Sunday, so happy 4th to everyone. Um, and have a great weekend, everyone. Enjoy the rest of the NBA playoffs or the Eastern Conference Final. Um, and we will we'll, we'll talk to you next week. All right, everyone. Have a good one.